because of Mother's Day and because of Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday and because of um, uh, the well, the play we had for Easter and uh, because of varying things that have gone on, uh, we we have left the book of James some time ago and we've been studying our way through the letter of James and today we will resume that study. Uh, and uh, you can be turning to chapter 3 of, of the letter of James. And um, in this case, we're allowing the text to determine the topic. And we just, obviously, I don't cover every verse, but we're looking, just going through, and we're just going to look at the first 12 verses today of chapter 3. Uh, and I've titled it, the, the uh, guarding the rudder of our life. And uh, I wrote this down. And I don't know how much I put on the screen. In addressing the dispersed Jewish Christians about the challenges and thus the resulting problems, we've, we talked about that in the introduction to this letter, James spends not an insignificant amount of space on taming the tongue. Now, you can get up and leave now if you want to. You know, this would be an opportunity. Maybe during the break, I should have warned you. I told, well, I'm not going to get into that. My father-in-law used to always joke that he was going to announce his sermon topic of speaking in tongues. And then when everybody showed up, he was going to go to James 3. <laughs> tongues. And, and there, there's, a, I found this one time on, on a windswept hill in an English country churchyard stands a dark gray slate tombstone. The quaint stone bears an epitaph not easily seen unless you stoop over and look closely. And the faint etchings read thusly. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. I didn't know Arabella, but I know some Arabellas. And most of us, what gets us in trouble is our mouth, our tongue, our speech. As a matter of fact, Publius, a Greek sage who's been known to show up around here occasionally, said, I have often regretted my speech, but never my silence. The Proverbs say even a fool looks wise when he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> and this is sort of what uh, I said Paul. James is addressing here is the, and he's, remember he's addressing a group of, of uh, tw uh, 12 tribes of Jewish Christians. He's addressing a group who are dispersed and there's, there's some issues, some persecutions, some challenges that they have encountered. And, and the result of these challenges has been some conflict. We'll see when we get to chapter 4, some, some conflict. Uh, conflict and issues that they're dealing with. And that's why, if you'll remember, going back to week 1 or week 2, if you're talking about the introduction, we see count it all joy when you enter into various trials because they were actually dealing with it. So this is who he's writing to. But don't forget that he's also writing to us. Joseph Garlington, or Bishop Garlington, said a great thing. He said a lot of great things. But one of the things he said at the conference in Gatlinburg was 
that the Bible is the oldest book that we have that the author is still alive. (laughs) And so true that the author of the Bible, through the work of the Holy Spirit, reveals to us the truth of the Scripture. And you know, if, our, if the if the author was dead, he couldn't do that for us. He begins this this section by addressing those who seek to become teachers. Now, you know, I'll deal with that in a moment. But and and when we're talking about teachers, we're talking about a governmental thing, and I'll deal with that as well. But Acts thirteen one actually lists teachers with the prophets, the prophets and the teachers, and also lists the teachers with the apostles, and so. There are some that would want, and we'll talk about that in a moment, who would seek that. And I think the overall theme of this section, these 12 verses, is that the tongue can be a productive agent or a counterproductive agent, depending on how we use it, use our speech. So James chapter 3, and it would help if the speaker was to turn to that. Um, James chapter 3. Uh, and we're going to start once I get there in verse 1. If you wouldn't mind standing while we read the scripture. I'm reading again from the English Standard Version. And it reads, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea and creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Watch this, and I'm going to come back to this, but no human being can tame the tongue. Arabella Young couldn't. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made, don't miss this, in the likeness of God. Let me tell you something. People who are made in the likeness of God are not limited to followers of Jesus Christ. They're not limited to Christians. When you encounter that that person at the grocery store or the post office or at the department store or the restaurant, you remember whether they're a Christian or not, they were created in the image of God. Okay. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. I love this statement. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You can be seated.
it's an interesting dynamic that he starts this section with not many of you should become teachers. Not many of you should desire to become teachers. Um, we tend, as human beings, we tend to overvalue uh, the more extrovert or visible gifts and to over-admire those who possess and exercise them. Uh, I remember when I was a lot younger, a lot of the folks that I... Well, as a matter of fact, let me go back further than that. When I was in high school, uh, I took a semester of Old Testament survey, and then the second semester, I took New Testament survey. By the way, this was in a public high school. Uh, but back then, that wasn't anything to think of. But a lot of the folks in the class with me, I mean, every one of them, I'm going to be a preacher, I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to be a prophet. I'm, you know, they were all aspiring to this visible gift. And James is saying that sometimes we over-admire these things and we desire something that we ought not be desiring. Let me just tell you something. If you're not called... Everybody say called. If you're not called to one of these governmental gifts, and this being one of them, you need to run. (laughs) We have two sons who ordained ministers. One of them sitting back there behind the computer. And we, you know, we tried to talk them out of it. You don't, you sure? You you know, I don't think you need, you know, no. Because if you can talk them out of it, guess what? They're not called. But but we overvalue these gifts, but God has a different view. The scripture says those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. God sees it different. We think name and lights, famous. We hear of a famous preacher down the street. We run down there because he's he's got a recognizable name. His gospel may be poor, but he's got a name. Let's go hear him. And Scripture says, God says, look at the weaker parts. of the. He goes on to say, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And so for our thinking that the visible extrovert gifts are the ones, the only ones that really matter, is completely flawed. And you've heard me say, I think, numerous, well, I know you have, because I've heard me say numerous times, that the majority of the work being done to advance the kingdom of God is not being done by preachers and pastors. It's, done, it's being done by people who go to work every day that are not carrying that calling and that gifting. It's ne- it was never intended for the preachers and pastors to do all of that. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4 is pretty clear that the role of what some refer to as the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, is not to do all the ministry, but to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so to, to only think that that name that's in the lights or that name that's famous or that position that carries with it some some kind of honor is the only one that has value is completely a flawed way of thinking. 
He points out that with greater responsibility comes greater expectations by God. He uses the word greater strictness. And I can assure you that if you are carrying the calling of a what I call a governmental gift, I'll make a distinction in a moment, but the, a governmental gift, when you, if you're carrying that calling, you carry a greater responsibility and, and God has higher expectations for you. He's going to punish a leader quicker than he is the people who are being led. Did y'all go to sleep? All right. Just make sure you're still there. There is a distinction in this particular instance between teaching and teachers. Now, every one of us, in some ways, we are teachers. You're teaching somebody every day. You know, Deb's talking about teaching, knitting and all that. That's teaching. Uh, you, if, you're, if you're counseling a young girl or a young boy about life, that's teaching. Uh, you may even be sitting in a Bible study going over, and that's teaching. But when we say teachers, we're talking about a calling and a gift. Again, back to Ephesians 4.11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. When I teach on that, I, I point out that I think maybe that pastors and teachers are actually combined. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But teachers is, the, is a governmental gift in the body of Christ. So let's just make that distinction. Uh, and all the rest of those gifts are true as well. You can prophesy without being a prophet. You can evangelize without being an evangelist. There's just there's a distinction to be made there. But he goes on to say, that the, the person, and he's he's trying to deal with those wanting to be teachers, but the person who does not stumble in what he says is is really he uses the word perfect. It's really the word completeness, maturity, and he's talking to leaders because teachers communicate largely with what words. Most of the time, teachers are communicating with words. And so he's saying to these folks right out the gate, first sentence, you know, not many of you should be, should be desiring to be a teacher because I want to let you know the responsibility and the expectations are higher. And if you don't stumble in what you say, how many times have we heard of ministers of various sorts who said things publicly? Have you? Do y'all know what this is? It's me going crazy. I know. No, this is when you say something and you immediately realize, I sure wish I could get that back. <laughs> and leaders who are more visible and are using words to communicate have a greater risk of that. We have to watch what we say. Now, as I'm getting older, my wife's getting on to me. Not now, but I mean, you know, as I'm getting older, and she says it since I had COVID, I don't care as much. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say what I want to say. And sometimes that gets me in trouble. And I think I've heard people say the older you get, the less you care. Boy, is somebody in trouble. So that's what he's dealing with here. But then he moves into this topic of the tongue as a bridle or a rudder. And, 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 he, and it really kind of moves. It actually moves 
before, but it definitely moves into a place where it applies to every follower of Jesus Christ, not just those seeking to be teachers. The tongue is a bridle or a rudder. Uh, we are so capable of offering a hasty word or an untruthful statement. Harmful gossip, which we'll come back to. You're just hoping I'd leave that one alone. Offering innuendo, just piercing in, innuendo. Or just statements that injure people. Words hurt people, you know, you know, sticks and stones and all that stuff. It's not true. Words do hurt people. No, you're not going to be bleeding, but it hurts. And if you want to injure somebody, man, you just draw up the right words and you've done it. Found this. It said words are like arrows. They can be love arrows or poison arrows. What are they going to be? What, what comes out of our mouth? Is it love or is it poison? And, of course, James is saying it's possible that you could do both, and this ought not be so. shouldn't be so. If you remember back in James chapter 1, he wrote this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If we can't guard our tongue and bridle our tongue so that everything that goes through our brain does not come out of our mouth, then we've got a problem and we need to ask God to help us. It's not hopeless, but we need help. Solomon, he just said, "Let, let not your mouth lead you into sin. How many of you? No, don't raise your hand. All of us have let our mouth lead us into sin from time to time. Either things we've said, uh, or think we've said things that took us places that we didn't need to go. A man working in the produce department was asked by a lady if she could buy half a head of lettuce. He replied, "Half a head? Are you serious?" God grows these in whole heads, and that's how we sell them. You mean, she persisted, that after all the years I've shopped here, you won't sell me half a head of lettuce? Look, he said, if you like, I'll ask the manager. She indicated that would be appreciated. So the young man marched to the front of the store. You won't believe this, but there's a lame-brained idiot of a lady back there who wants to know if she can buy a half a head of lettuce. He noticed the manager gesturing and turned around to see the lady standing behind him, obviously having followed him to the front of the store. And this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half. Later in the day, the manager cornered the young man and said, that was the finest example of thinking on your feet I've ever seen. Where did you learn that? He said, I grew up in Grand Rapids, and I assume Michigan. <clears throat> and if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you, you know that it's known for its great hockey teams and its ugly women. <clears throat> the manager's face flushed, and he interrupted my wife is from Grand Rapids. <laughs> the 
young man said, and which hockey team did she play for? (laughs) Guarding your tongue. Guarding the rudder of your life. J.A. Motier says, James' marine illustration of the rudder in the ship is not all that wide of the mark as a description of life with its tides, currents, and storms. Once again, there is a rudder to hold the ship on course, and the tongue is that rudder. The tongue, our words, how we talk to people can be, can direct our lives. It can direct our, where we go and, and what we have to respond to. Uh, you know, the, James again, first chapter said that we should be slow to speak. That's wisdom. That goes back to the fool looks wise even when, when he keeps his mouth shut. I've told you this before. One of my teachers in school said, was always telling us to put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in motion. And, buddy, if you do that, it'll keep you out of a lot of trouble because usually we put our mouth in motion and then we're doing this because we didn't put our mind in gear. And we're going, boy, I wish I could get that back. But I think James is also making a positive point here that the control of the tongue leads to a master control of ourselves and our lives. If we can control what we say, at least guard what we say. Now, sometimes you have to say things that are piercing because the Bible does say speaking the truth in love. Now, how many of you know sometimes the truth hurts? But how do you speak the truth? I'll get to that after a while, too. But there is a positive of this that we should look at. General Robert E. Lee was once asked what he thought of a fellow officer in the Confederate Army, an officer who had made some mean-spirited remarks about him. Lee thought for a moment, then rated him as being very satisfactory. The person who asked the questions seemed troubled. Probably a reporter looking for a story, but, but General, I guess you don't know what he's been saying about you. Oh, yes. Answered Lee, I know, I know what he's been saying about me. But I was asked my opinion of him, not his of me. You guard your tongue. He had an opportunity there to besmirch the reputation of this other guy. He had an opportunity to retaliate against this other person. But he guarded his tongue and refuse to get drawn into that conversation. What kind of fire? He said the tongue is a fire. The tongue sets a fire. What kind of fire are we setting? Proverbs says the tongue that heals is a tree of life. But a devious tongue breaks the spirit. So which one are we, which direction are we going? Are we are we, do we have a tongue that heals or do we have a tongue that is devious and deceitful? Are our words edifying or are our words tearing somebody down? Now, I'm saying, oh, me, just as much as anybody else that's listening, because this is an issue as human beings that we deal with. 
I read the verse earlier. It says, no human being can tame the tongue. The scripture actually says, no man can tame the tongue. And this is the key. You can't just decide. I'm, I'm going to do this. Bless God. It's gonna be, it kills me. And, and you have to be dead for it to work. But no human being can tame the tongue. But we know a God who's supernatural, who's Lord over our mouth, Lord over our speech. And if we ask him, he'll help us. And honestly, most of us don't ask. We just say stuff. And then wish we could get it back. The best way to save face, listen, best way to save face is to keep the lower part of your face shut. We can, we can use our speech, our tongue as a fire for evil. It's too easy to go there because the bone of contention is the jawbone. Think about that. Don't let it go over you. I tell my wife all the time, she's too short to hear what I'm saying. He went right over her head. Aren't y'all glad you don't have to live with me? The, the bone of contention is the jawbone. It's what causes the fire for evil. There are a lot of ways that we could use our speech. And I mentioned some of them earlier, hasty words, innuendo, hurtful words. There are a lot of ways that we can start a fire with our mouth that we cannot put out. Probably the most common and the most obvious that probably the most the majority of people deal with in some level is this word of gossip. Now, again, you have an opportunity right here. I'll wait for a second. Anybody wants to get up and leave? Okay. Gossip. The church is not immune to gossip. And let me just tell you something. It's not limited to women. I know we joke about that sometimes, but some of the biggest gossips I ever met in my life were men. And boy, they, if you said something about somebody, they would, boy, mm. we were at one of the events at her reunion and little lady, of course, we I've known her since I was a little fellow. She came up, they started talking, and something was said about somebody else. And, boy, I could see her. It's like a shark finding blood in the water. She thought we, she was going to get to put, boy, wear somebody out. Let's, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about him. I said, and I just interjected with, I don't remember what I said, but I interjected with some statement that kind of just diffused that thing. It took took it, it was going this direction, and I, I said something that made it go this direction, because I knew she was about to latch on. But I've been with guys who do the same thing. Some of y'all. Ah! <laughs> a gossip really is just a secret whisper. A lot of your newer versions, when you find the word gossip in the King James, the newer versions will say whisper. Everyone, you ever walk? Yeah, you have. You walked in a room. What do you think? You know what you think. They've been talking about me. Probably not. Probably hadn't been because you're paranoid. 
you're not really paranoid. Everybody is out to get you. But anyway, <laughs> but you hear that whispering, and you assume, oh, they're talking about me behind my back. Mm. Proverbs, again, says the words of a gossip are tasty morsels going down into one's innermost being. A person who's a serious gossip, man, if you just give them one little crumb, it's like the lady I described, boy, it's like a shark looking for finding blood in the water. And here we go. Let's latch on to that and carry it as far as we can carry it. It goes down inside. And by the way, when it does, I think it does damage. A gossip is a person who will never tell a lie if the truth will do more damage. Hey, did you hear about sister so-and-so? Let's pray for her. I saw her out at a restaurant with a guy that wasn't her husband. Let's pray. Yeah, yeah, pray. Let's pray that I can find somebody else to tell this story to. That's what you're praying for. Do you see? Let's pray for brother so-and-so. And I saw him down there at the, at the package store. Do they call them package stores anymore? Okay. I saw this guy down at the liquor store. And he, I mean, he was coming out and let's pray. Let's pray for him. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of the story of the, <clears throat> the lady in the church who was kind of like that. And, and, uh, she's, uh, this, this guy, uh, was, his truck, he broke down in front of the local bar. Now, you know, in Nashville, everybody goes to bars. Because if you wanted to play music in Nashville and you didn't want to go into a bar, you'd be up a creek. <laughs> but in some towns, that's an, uh, a bad deal. So anyway, his truck broke down in front of the bar, and he left it there all night long. And so here she's calling people in the church. Did you see? Brother so-and-so, we need to pray for him. He's, he was at the bar all night long. Well, how was she? And was she not sleeping? I don't understand how she would know. And so word got back to him that she'd been telling everybody that he was in the bar all night long. Of course, all it was was a truck had broke down and he was at his house. So the next night, he parked his truck in front of her house all night long. Hmm. person who will never tell a lie if the truth will do more damage. And then we can use our tongue as a fire for righteousness. It can be a healing tongue or a deceitful tongue. Acts 2.4, we see a different kind of fire as the fire of the Holy Spirit rested upon each person in the upper room. It's interesting to me, Brother Joseph Garlington spoke on the topic of tongues and the praying in the spirit. And, and it's interesting to me that 120 people went into that room and 120 people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says they began to speak as the spirit gave them vocabulary. But it was a fire. What they began to speak was life. And very, you know, in known languages and unknown languages, they began to speak life in that situation. They gained a new power, and they gained a new speech. They gained a new perspective. If you look at Peter prior to Pentecost, I mean, here's a guy, you, you heard this, you, here's a guy who cut a man's ear off because he missed. Think about it. 
Here's a guy who could still use some choice cuss words at Jesus' trial after being with Jesus for three and a half years. Here's a guy who denied knowing Jesus. But after Pentecost, look at Peter. It's a different guy. Why? Because it was a different kind of fire. And we can produce a fire for righteousness with our words. We can offer encouragement. We can offer affirmation to people. We can offer words that strengthen and build up if we want to. We have this gift of speech that God has given us that I think James is saying if we don't misuse this gift, it will be. Uh, well, he says, Proverbs says, sweetness of the lips increases learning. You ever tried to get anybody to learn something from you or you tried to explain something to somebody? Do you understand that how you say it will affect how they learn? You know, if you're, if you're abrasive and quick and you big dummy, why can't you get this? They're not getting anything. But sweetness of lips causes the learning, the pleasantness of our words will cause the hearer to increase in their learning. It does matter how you talk. Proverbs again says, he who loves purity of heart and has grace, everybody say grace, on his lips. The king will be his friend. Now, think about that. He who has purity of heart, I think there's a connection between a purity of heart and grace on the lips. I don't really think you can have one without the other. He says, you'll find favor with the king. Well, anybody else, for that matter, favor one whose speech is gracious. Another thing is dealing with the the gift of speech is that Paul, it is Paul this time, deals with uh, dealing with those outside the faith community. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded repeatedly how do we how do we deal with those outside the church, outside the community. And Paul writes this to the church of Colossae. First, he begins by telling them, walk in wisdom, which we'll deal with wisdom next Sunday. So you already know if you don't want to hear about wisdom. Anyway, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And then he says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Seasoned with salt, that not only does that make it, uh, uh, cause it to be uh, preserving, but I mean, I, I don't tell my cardiologist this, but I like to put salt on my food. <laughs> and because I like to put salt on my food, I put salt on my food. You know why? It tastes good. Some Tony's and some other stuff too. But anyway, and when you talk to people, you want it to taste good. You want it to be something palatable that they can process. And this is what he said. If you want to deal with those outside the church, outside the faith community, you need to deal with them in a way that's gracious and seasoned with salt. So that you know, you would know how to answer each person. Peter quotes Psalm 34 when he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
I think you're getting the message. We'll close with this. It matters what you say. (laughs) See, I can't say what I wanted to say about my timer. But uh, I'm almost done. Just hang in there. Now, if if you've heard me say anything, or you will hear me say anything, that makes you think, and I know you don't, but it makes you think that I embrace a name-it-and-claim-it theology, nothing could be further from the truth. Name-it-and-claim-it theology puts the the initiative on me. In other words, name-it-and-claim-it theology says, I can say what I want to, and God has to respond to it. Now, I don't want a God like that. I don't want a God who's going to respond only to what I say. But it does matter what you say. Our role as followers of Christ is not to manipulate God with some kind of a name it and claim it idea. Our role is to find out what God is into and agree with him. Say what he's saying, not get him to say what you're saying. Boy, y'all got quiet. It is important what you say because death and life, you couldn't do this teaching without this scripture. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power. You can determine whether you are, you are, uh, Issuing life to somebody or death to somebody with your tongue. Boy, y'all are quiet. All right, I'm going to ask you to turn to one scripture, Matthew 12. I should have told you this earlier, but anyway, Matthew 12, 33. We're going to listen to the words of Jesus. By the way, all of the Bible... I hope y'all were here when Rob taught the two weeks on uh, how we got the Bible. If you weren't, it's available. All, everybody say all. All 66 books of the Bible are the anointed word of God. I don't, I'm not besmirching the red letters. They have value because they are the, the direct words of Jesus. But I want to tell you that the ones that aren't red letters are were inspired and God breathed just as much as the words that Jesus spoke. In other words, the rest of the Bible are the words of Jesus. They were just spoken through the Holy Spirit and through the folks who wrote it down. Enough of that. Nevertheless, 1233, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Well, he's not very loving, is he? What happened to the sweet, loving Jesus? Well, okay, just get off of that. How can you speak good when you're evil? Here's a key verse. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's scary, isn't it? The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. 
I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. <laughs> See, I sure wish you hadn't read that verse. <laughs> Me too. For by your words you will be justified. This is not the same justification Paul speaks of. And by your words you'll be condemned. This is not about getting in or not getting in. This is about you will be rewarded according to your works. But every careless word, I, I don't even want to stand at the gate now. Because we'll be there for a while. Okay, let's look at every careless word you've ever spoken. Well, how long you, I hope you got eternity. And everyone, come on, all of us, same way. We're going, hey, this may take a while. You got a stool? <laughs> Jesus is saying to leaders, by the way, it's important what you say. And you're going to be held accountable for what you say. That's scary. Well, we'll finish up with this. This is, I'm really finishing. <laughs> he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. I think this is the message that James is trying to communicate in these 12 verses. And I think that he wrote this. And by proxy, it's for us. It's, it's, it helps in context to see who he's writing to and the circumstances of who, where they are. But ultimately, when you read the scripture, ultimately, it's always coming back to you and to me. So he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. I think we can do that with God's help. Stand. Lord Jesus, you had your brother write this through the work of the Holy Spirit. And what he did was he wrote for us a tall order. He wrote in such a way that he was very clear when he wrote that no human being could tame the tongue. Which forces us and requires us to fall on you and the work of the Spirit to help us. Every person in this room, every person watching uh, from home or some other place around the world, every person who's watching this after the fact from the archives, we have all dealt with the issue of our words and our tongue. And we all recognize the importance of your work in our life. Of righteousness. And we pray that you would do so. And that we each one of us would speak words that are positive, that are life, encouraging, affirming. And that we would put our mind in gear before we put our mouth in motion. So that we don't have to start grabbing words out of the air to try to put them back. And we pray that we would honor you with our speech. We would bring glory to your name as those who represent you in the earth. May your kingdom come into the earth just like it's functioning in heaven. 
And may your will be done on earth just like it's being done in heaven. And may you use us to extend that kingdom into the earth. And may we cooperate by allowing you to give us the words to say that would do so. Thank you for this time together today. I pray that you do a work in each one of our hearts. And I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. You're dismissed.